So as uh, Shelley said, um, we'll both be talking about different aspects of wise effort or right effort. The um, quality of our inner life is the most important asset we have. And when we see clearly how our uh, unskillful mind states decrease the quality of that inner life, it's just natural to want to prevent them from happening or to, um, or to uh, if they are happening, to stop them, you know, and let go of them. Um, wise effort can be defined as the effort uh, that we make towards ending suffering in our lives and towards peace. It's fairly simple. You know, the, um, the way our mind is uh, uh, going at any given moment, it's going in one of those directions. It's either going towards clinging, towards suffering, or it's going towards peace, unless it's in a peaceful state. But it's, those, uh, it's the effort to go in those directions. The teachings refer to four right efforts, as I mentioned, and um, uh, I like to think of them as, uh, you know, to pack them, you know, it's, it's P-A-C-K, uh, so we take them with us everywhere we go. And the first two are uh, P-A, which are the ones I'll be covering, which is to prevent unskillful states and to abandon them when they've arisen. And uh, Shelley will be doing the, uh, the cultivating side. And so cultivating, and then once uh, they've arisen, how to, how to keep them, how to sustain them. Um, so they're all different aspects that we work with as our practice at different, uh, different points in the practice. There isn't like a, uh, first you learn one, then the other. You kind of use them all kind of interchangeably. Um, as different things come up. So, um, virya is the Pali word for effort. And it actually means the state of a hero or strong person. Um, so the Buddha said, um, the Dhamma is for one who is energetic, not for one who is lazy. One arouses energy for abandoning unwholesome qualities and for acquiring wholesome ones. So what's interesting about this, this laziness, you know, um, a lot of people uh, aren't, don't really realize the difference between they, but you might work all day really, really hard. And you go, I'm not lazy, I'm an energetic person, but be really lazy about purifying the mind. And so when you're sitting meditating and, and you're feeling sorry for yourself because everybody else is blissed out and, you know, you're not, <laughs> or whatever mental state you might be caught in, um, you know, and you're just kind of indulging it and, and, um, and hanging out in it and doing anything but, uh, but exploring it and understanding it and, and seeing what's needed to let go of it. Um, so it's really arousing that energy so that when an unskillful state shows up, um, you know, we don't um, grab onto it. We don't hang out in it. We actually have a choice. And that's the really wonderful thing about mindfulness practice is that it gives us enough space around our experience to be able to have a choice and say, 
wow, that, that uh, mental state is not something that's uh, nurturing to me. Um, you know, you don't reject it. You know, we don't reject anything that shows up, but we also don't have to feed it. Like for instance, um, uh, like let's say something happened at work, you know, um, you know, one analogy I use often is, uh, you know, someone took credit for your work. How, how does that feel, right? You know, it's like you get kind of, oh, how could they, you know? And so let's say you're really upset about it. Uh, you know, and eventually you just kind of start settling down and you're okay and you're feeling fine. You know, you go home and you tell your friend and you get all riled up all over again. You know, you've, you've fed it. You've fed the, um, the unwholesome state again. Instead of allowing it to, um, to just fade in its natural way, uh, you've, you've um, you know, fed it and given a lot of energy without really adding any understanding to it. And, uh, and it doesn't make you feel better, right? It, it, it might, there might be some juiciness we express or anger when we, you know, how dare they, there's this righteous indignation. It does have a little bit of pleasure and that's one of the reasons it's so seductive to be righteous, to be indignant, you know. There's, um, there's definitely a little bit of enjoyment there. But really, you know, when we look at our hearts, we're not at peace when we're feeling that way. You know, we're really pretty agitated, and we're very s- we're separate from people, and we're um, uh, we're pretty contracted. So it's really you know bringing the energy when these states show up uh, to uh, not feed them, to let them go. <coughs> so the first one is preventing. Um, the unskillful states. So it's preventing them before they ever arise. And the primary tool we have for preventing unskillful states is mindfulness. So if you're sitting there watching your breath, and uh, for instance, um, um, let's say that uh, um, there's a wonderful smell from the kitchen coming up right? And you're watching your breath and this wonderful smell comes up and you know, oh, that's really nice smell. And, but very quickly, if you don't notice it, you go, oh, that smells really good. Oh, I want that. Oh my God, when's the sitting over? You know, and, and suddenly you're just like grabbing onto that, you know. And, um, uh, and, and uh, you know, you've lost touch because you didn't, you didn't really notice, oh yeah, that's a pleasant smell, and leave it at that. Um, they say that all unwholesome states um, come from these three basic roots, from greed, hatred, or aversion, and delusion. And um, so greed, you know, it's, it's important to have a sense of what greed means. Some people say, well, I'm not greedy, I'm not a greedy person, I live very simply. But greed is really about um, clinging to what we want. And what we want might not be a, an object, might not be a person, uh, it might be an experience. You know, like I've, I've sat in meditation 
wanting to have a deep experience so bad, you know, and, and made myself so tight and so miserable because I really, you know, I, I had a really deep experience yesterday and I want one today. And, you know, and really tightened up and, and clinging to that, to that concept and striving so hard that I couldn't relax until I saw what I was doing. So, w- you know, greed, wanting, um, is, uh, is one of the really strong uh, uh, drives that humans have. And um, it's a little bit different than desire, because desire, um, without desire we wouldn't be alive. None of us would have been born with that desire, right? And none of us would go from day to day with that desire for food, for rest, for shelter. Uh, desire is essential for being alive. Uh, but desire by itself doesn't necessarily have a contraction. It just, you know, you want to eat. And uh, if there's no food, if, if uh, you, you haven't clung to it, then you still relax. Okay, I'm hungry. Um, but greed enters into uh, clinging of, of desire is where the issue arises where, oh my God, I don't get to eat today. And, you know, and, um, and you get really tight, really tight. And, um, you, know, it's, it's, you know, it's like someone who's hungry, who hasn't eaten for a day, um, and someone who's decided to fast for a day, they have uh, two very different minds. And the only difference might be, um, you know, what's in your mind, you know. I haven't eaten for a day, and you know, it might be because you're broke, you know, or, or uh, your situation. Or I haven't eaten for a day because it's a spiritual practice. I, won't, I like to fast on occasion. Um, so, but it's the same experience, but a very, very different mind. And so really looking at our mental states, uh, regardless of what we're doing, uh, is really where the path to uh, peace or suffering goes. Um, uh, you know, maybe some of you experience this today with desire. Um, you know, you might be waking up in the morning and, you know, you're in a dreamy state when you get up and wake up in bed and you're still kind of, um, you know, drifting a little bit, you're awake, but it's just so cozy and warm and comfy, you know, and so you're so contented and it's such a nice state and then the bell ringer comes by and it's time to get up. You know, and uh, if you cling to that state, your contentment just like that goes into uh, resistance. It's gone, you know. No, I want, I want more, more of this, you know, more, more. Um, so throughout the day, you know, you can, you know, pay attention, you know, how often does desire come up? How often does, uh, do you cling to it when it does show up? Um, a few other of the um, states that come with greed, with that, with that root, are, are envy, you know, wanting what somebody else has, covetousness, um, uh, lust, selfishness. You know, I want the bigger piece of that. You know, I want to be the, the have the best of this. Uh, th- all those qualities are associated with that root. Uh, the root of uh, hatred or aversion can range from the really subtle states of irritation, 
um, impatience, dislike, to the really intense um, anger, hostility, even rage. So it's all, you know, from that from that root of aversion or hatred or, um, you know, again, the whole range of, of uh, kind of negative experiences, how we tend to see it. And delusion is, um, you know, when things just aren't clear. Uh, you know, with, with greed, we, God, we want something. It's very clear we want it. Same thing with aversion. We really don't want that. We're pushing it away. But with delusion, it's the stuff that we don't really, uh, it's kind of below our, our conscious awareness. It's uh, very easy to get caught by it. And so um, one of the things that's easy to get caught by is when we're meditating and we have a very um, low level of stimulation, you know, in this world, you know, we're used to constant stimulation. You know, you've got your phone, you've got your this device, that device. Uh, there's always something happening. We're always busy with this, with that. And we come and we sit with very little stimulation. And then the mind starts slowing down. And then even that's not stimulating you too much anymore. Before there might have been chaos. Now there's just very low stimulation. And... Um, and it does, and it sort of, you know, feels weird, you know. So we get restless to get some more stimulation, or, or we get sleepy because, you know, we don't know what to do with such a low level of stimulation, or we say, "Oh, I'm bored," and that's a, a really common one. Oh, I'm bored. What do I do when I'm bored? Um, and so it's a really, really interesting state to explore. Getting to know our boredom and getting interested in our boredom is an incredible transformative practice. Um, So, if you get next time you find yourself bored with with your mind, uh, go, What a great opportunity! Wow, okay, so I'm uh, finally here, I am bored, and and you really explore, you know, is, is it a pleasant state? Is it unpleasant? What is it? What's going on here? What's boredom like? To a, and you might notice that you actually have a lot of resistance to the boredom. You know, you want to push it away. You know, you ca- we're kind of like little kids, you know. I'm bored. What should I do? You know. So, you know, and same thing to, the, to our minds. You know, I'm bored. You know, give me something stimulating, you know. And, and so it's a really, you know, um, if you really have the put out that extra effort to explore boredom, um, you know, I think it will surprise you. It's, it's, you know, quite, quite fascinating. You know, all unskillful mental states start with a thought. And um, the thoughts we have, you know, they, they say that um, 95% of the thoughts we had today, we had yesterday. Um, and so they're habits, they're habits of mind. Uh, just like, you know, kind of biting your nails, you know, we'll tend to go through this habit of mind, go through that habit of mind. And so when we, you know, our unskillful mental states, whatever they might be for you, are habits of mind. And um, and it's important because if you think about how do you 
create a habit and how do you break a habit. Um, are you all familiar with Pavlov's dogs? You know, you condition them, you know, you ring the bell and they actually salivate. You know, they know it's coming, food's coming. And we're the same way, we're, we're no different. You know, we're conditioned uh, by who knows, our parents, or society, what, what all our life experience. And so um, this situation comes up, we go down this mental pathway. This situation comes up, we go down this mental pathway. And, and that's how our minds are. So the practice says, wait, wait, we have a choice. We can either, you know, go down a regular habit or we can stop. We can stop and, and um, do it differently this time. And every time we stop um, a, an unskillful mental habit, we strengthen the mindful habit and we weaken that unskillful habit. And just like, um, you know, one of the, um, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes is a good example, okay? So will one cigarette hurt you? Not in particular, right? And one cigarette, everybody who becomes addicted to cigarettes, right, uh, starts with one. And they might not have any intention of being addicted, but they have one and then they have another. And at some point, they get hooked. And then sometimes when people, you know, stop smoking, they actually decrease it gradually. Um, I mean, there's different approaches, but, um, but in the same way, we can use conditioning uh, to condition mindfulness. You start with one moment of mindfulness. You know, one moment doesn't seem to do much, but it's actually so, so powerful because if you follow one moment with another, now you've got double, double the mindfulness and then another, you know, and slowly you develop, you build a new habit. I remember um, my very first retreat. Uh, they talked about being mindful, um, brushing my teeth. And I remember going, you know, there, you know, watching my arm move, doing, you know, and it just seems so boring to me. You know, I just didn't like doing it. I said, I just want to relax, you know. Um, you know, I'm in my room, I can do whatever I want. I'm not going to do this. You know? <laughs> and I didn't really understand, you know, that, you know, as you develop mindfulness, mindfulness becomes more pleasant than not being mindful. But, you know, at first we're working at it. It's like, it's like, um, uh, it's like learning a musical instrument, right? You know, if you've ever tried learning, you start jingle bells, you know, jingle bells, you know, and it, you'd mean, you probably don't even have the rhythm right, and, you know, you might be getting some of the notes right. And, um, you know, but after you practice a while, oh, wow, that starts sounding like a song, you know? And, and you know, and then it becomes playing. You know, it goes from work, you know, learning, awkward, uh, you know, a little challenging to, um, to play. And, and that's what happens with the mindful practice, you know. What might feel like um, a little bit of a sometimes drudgery or difficult um, or hard to remember, you're working at remembering to do it, um, eventually just starts getting uh, like second nature. You may, st may, may spend long periods of not being mindful, but, 
but you still have this uh, this new habit where mindfulness begins to feel really comfortable and at ease and kind of the the more relaxed natural way of being in this life so I just want to make sure when we talk about the unskillful mental states um, that um, there's a lot of states, emotional states, uh, that aren't pleasant, that are very skillful. For instance, feeling um, sad for um, you know the uh, the victims of the hurricane, for instance, feeling that sadness. Uh, you know, it's very sad, but it's also uh, arises compassion in our hearts. And even though it's very sad, there's a feeling of connection with those people. We care about them. So it's, there's a certain, um, you know, it's funny, it's a, it's a sadness, but there's a rightness to it. Something that feels very whole in, in our beings when we have compassion for others. And it may hurt a lot. And just like, um, you know, when we lose someone we, we dearly love, you know, th- the, there might be a tremendous grief of that loss. And that's part of being human. And, and um, it, But if it's not afflicted with, um, with fear, with other, um, other unwholesome states, um, you know, it might be hard to go through, but it's, um, it's very real and very connected. Um, and very, and it, it can be wholesome. It's when we get all our fears around it shouldn't have happened, or or what am I going to do now? I'm going to be lonely, um, you know, um, you know, and all these other thoughts. You know, they're not really. It's not that they're not not valid concerns. You know, we don't want to push any of it away, but to really understand the difference between grieving and feeling sorry for ourselves, feeling sorry for ourselves because of our loss. Um, and then just really being in the present with all of it and, and being compassionate with all of it. So back to preventing. Um, you know, one of the um, metaphors that I've liked, that, I, um, that I've, I've learned at the very beginning of my practice uh, with mindfulness, and you may have heard this, is the um, the metaphor of the gatekeeper. You know, you've got a gatekeeper into a city, and um, mindfulness is the gatekeeper. It sees everybody that comes in through that gate. You know, might might be a, you know, a drunks coming in, or it might be a, um, a, you know, kind of a grumpy person or salesperson. All sorts of different people come in and out of the city gates. And the gatekeeper's job is just to notice who's there, make sure everything's safe. Uh, but they don't engage. They don't, you know, they don't uh, get mad at the drunk for drinking. They don't, um, you know, engage with the beautiful woman and uh, start keeping them from leaving. <laughs> and uh, they don't, uh, you know, so you have this gatekeeper. Um, and and um, and so what we're in the lookout is for uh, any of the uh, states that arise from clinging, from greed, from hatred, from delusion. And um, the primary place that these unwholesome states arise is from contact with the senses. 
And so I want to take a few moments to talk about um, uh, each of the five, of, of the six senses. We talk about um, six senses in this practice. Uh, you know, the first five external senses and the sixth being the mind. And um, if you take a moment right now and, uh, you know, f- listen to hearing, right? You're, you're hearing my voice. Okay, so through what you hear, maybe you like what you hear. Maybe you don't like what you hear. Maybe there's a um, chainsaw outside the window and, and you really don't like what you hear. Uh, so do you cling to it? You know, do you cling to it? Or in mindfulness, you know, regardless of what we hear, um, you know, we, we might consider hearing, hearing. You know, this is what's happening. We're hearing a sound, we're hearing a noise, uh, we're hearing words. Um, if we get contracted, you know, we, you know, we can reject it, you know, right? Uh, we can darken our minds, you know. Um, when, um, when I went back, back east to IMS, you know, I set a three-month retreat, and it was my very, my first three-month retreat. It was a really big deal for me. I was really, uh, you know, looking forward, preparing for this retreat, really uh, excited and daunted. <laughs> and, um, you know, the first week, uh, there was a jackhammer outside the window all day long, day after day after day. And I remember just being outraged, you know, I came all the way out here, you know, and I want to have, you know, peaceful meditations and I have to deal with this jackhammer. And it was so fascinating how as I let go of my, I, all the, the ideas around it, and um, it wasn't an issue. It just wasn't an issue. And I got into some amazingly deep meditative states right alongside with this jackhammer outside my window. Um, and, um, you know, it, it was such a powerful teaching. Um, and it doesn't take a jackhammer to get all contracted. It can be a, um, a neighbor that's breathing too loud. It can be, a, um, you know, someone who's snoring in the hall. Um, it could be a lot of things, you know. But can we just really stay mindful for the hearing, hearing? but also appreciating that it's a gradient, you know, so we all have a certain level of skill. And, you know, and for some people, like, um, uh, you know, a jackhammer just might be beyond their skill level at that point in time. So it's better to, you know, okay, that's, that's not for me right now. Let me, uh, let me try some, you know, a different location. I'll go meditate uh, out, by the bo- out by the pond over there. <laughs> um, You know, and I just want to say, you know, when we have an unskillful state show up, you know, what we can do is we can shift our attention. Shifting our attention um, isn't rejecting our experience. You know, for instance, with pain, um, often with pain, like for instance, let's say you have a shoulder pain. While you have the shoulder pain, if you actually look at your whole body, you've got lots of other sensations. Um, if you can be skillful with that shoulder pain, great. But if you're just so stuck, you can't explore it, you, you, you're, you can't deal with it, you can foc- shift your attention to something else. 
uh, to an area that doesn't hurt. We have, you know, there's so many other sensations. Um, there's something that allows your mind to, to restore its balance. You know, and then maybe once your mind is balanced again, if that pain is there, you can approach it with a little bit more balanced mind. So we can shift our attention without rejecting our experience. So seeing might be obvious how easily it is to kick off with seeing. We see someone attractive and, and um, you know, one of the stories that I love um, uh, that um, happened to my teacher was, you know, he was a young man at the time and uh, um, he was doing a retreat and he saw this woman across the room and he fell in love, you know, this was going to be the, the love of his life, you know, and he spent hours fantasizing this relationship, and by the, you know, by the time the retreat was over, he, he'd gotten married, they'd had kids, you know, and he, you know, just had this incredible life together already, and then uh, at the end of the retreat, he spoke to her, and she had this really, really thick accent, and he you know, nothing wrong with the accent, but he realized this was not the person <laughs> he'd imagined. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and the, f- and the fantasy just broke, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's what happens, you know, with, with our eyes. And all it is is you, sh- you just see something you like, right? And you cling to it, and there you are lost in another world. Um, Smelling, I mentioned, you know, the waft of uh, the kitchen can be very, very uh, seductive, you know, and, and um, you know, I know people, uh, you know, uh, back, back east where we were, you know, it's kind of, kind of an hour away from, um, uh, not an hour, but it's, it's not kind of far from anything, um, any stores and stuff, and, and somebody got so into, you know, uh, wanting uh, pizza, they, they actually had a, you know, found a phone and um, ordered a pizza from takeout (laughs) 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 to come to the retreat center. Uh, But they got so, you know, intensely caught in it, you know, so so we guard our senses. Um, You know, food, you all did a little bit of mindful eating today, right? And you know, have you ever found yourself um, have a, a mouthful of uh, food, in particular junk food, right? And and you're already grabbing more, and you know your mouth is full of, of the stuff, and you're grabbing the next cookie or the next something. You know, so um, it's a very easy place to get get caught. Um, and the sense of touch, you know, it's. Um, you know, one of the places, you know, uh, that's easy on retreat to get caught for me is the nice, warm shower. Uh, that feels so good, you know. And, you know, and there's a water shortage. And, uh, oh, another three minutes won't hurt, will it? <laughs> and uh, so it's very easy to, to get, uh, uh, get hooked by that, you know, really wonderful uh, sensation. Um, and the mind is seen as a sixth sense door, you know, and in the same way that contact with the outer senses comes up, uh, the inner senses, you know, you see an image in your mind and suddenly you run away in a fantasy, you're out uh, in another continent. 
um, or uh, memories come up from the past, you know, and you're reliving some painful experience or uh, thoughts about the future come and you're uh, planning, you know, two years down the line, you know, and or, or um, uh, so it's very easy to get up, get, get caught with the objects of the mind. Um, You know, mindfulness keeps us really close to things as they are, to the senses. And so from that place where we really pay attention moment to moment, ah, hearing, oh, that's hearing, okay. You know, that's seeing, uh, that's a memory. Really recognizing what are the objects of the mind that show up, what shows up. And, and then we, are, we can be on guard of getting caught. Um, and you know, one of the things uh, um, is that a lot of our experience, half of our experience is, at least, is not pleasurable, right? I mean, if you look at your day today, you know, what percentage of your day was pleasurable? You know, what percentage was kind of neither here nor there, and what percentage was unpleasant? I mean, we all have different, but, but typically, you know, most of our life is some of it's pleasant, some of it's unpleasant. And one of the uh, things that um, I really value about this practice is that I've gotten so much more comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, and so you know, when we see discomfort as not a problem, uh, uh, because it's just another object of mindfulness. Oh, discomfort, unpleasant, um, and it's okay. There's no struggle. The mind, my mind can you know be really at peace and be really uncomfortable at the same time. And not all the time, but, but, but much of the time. And, and so it's, it's, uh, um, you know, it's a really wonderful thing to be able to just continue to get more comfortable uh, instead of trying to always have perfect situation, which we can't. It's impossible in this human life uh, to get what we want all the time the way we want it. That just uh, isn't going to happen. No matter, no matter what conditions, it's just not going to happen. So um, being at peace, regardless of whether you get what you want, is really uh, what you know. A lot of what this practice um, uh, leads to. So um, I talked about prevention, you know, and. Um, but uh, the tr- you know the truth of the situation is that most of us get caught a lot, right? And prevention uh, takes really, really strong mindfulness to prevent. Uh, but it also takes strong mindfulness to uh, stop these unwholesome states after they've arisen. It takes mindfulness and it takes willingness. And um, excuse me. So in, in meditation, we have uh, what we call the five hindrances. And these are the um, um, unskillful states of mind that arise in meditation that tend to cloud the mind. And uh, the first two are very much what we've been talking about, are uh, desire and aversion. And I think of them in pairs, 
right? Because desire and aversion are both about not getting what you want, right? Things aren't the way you want them. You know, one of them is you want something, the other one is you don't want something. So, um, you know, they work kind of in a pair. Uh, the next two, and um, how many of you uh, have had sleepiness today? Right? Th- it's universal, you know. Um, sleepiness, we call it sloth and torpor, you know. So there's t- like this sloth of, uh, of the body and torporous of the mind. You know, sometimes the body might feel, you know, okay, but the mind just feels really sloggy. Um, you know, a sloth, you know, you see those animals, they hang, you know, and they just hang, you know, and they don't move at all. And, you know, and it's like how the body sometimes feels like, you know, just like can't move. Um, and so those, the sloth and torpor and restlessness are both states that, that uh, make it really hard to see what's happening. And then the last one is doubt, you know, and, and doubt's a really tricky one because, um, you know, we can doubt our own experience, and we can doubt the practice, and um, and instead of really paying attention to the moment, we get caught up in doubt. It's not that there isn't a really good place for doubt and for questions, uh, but it's really useless while you're meditating. You know, y- you know, you can ask questions of a teacher, you can read books, you can have discussions. You know, all that is great. You know, I love questioning. You know, I think people who question are, are really uh, learn more. You know, it's great to question, but but do it at a time that's useful. So if you find yourself, you know, you know, wondering, am I doing the right practice? Am I am I doing this right? Am I, you know, or uh, doubting that oh, I'll never get this. All that, no, let's just start back to the breath, just back to this moment. Put all that aside for later. Shift the attention back to the center. It's a hindrance. You know, the primary method to deal with these hindrances is to make these unwholesome states the object of our meditation. So if desire arises, we make that the object. Okay. Um, you know, if clinging arises to desire, uh, you know, we, uh, if, if we're really caught in wanting, we make that the object. Uh, it doesn't mean you've, oh, I went off the breath and now I'm focused on this uh, craving that I have. Uh, that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. This is what shows up. Our practice is about getting to know the mind as it is, not as we want it. And when something strong like this shows up, we make that the object. We look at it, you know, how does wanting feel? Like I know if I'm really wanting something really bad, you know, my chest feels tight, you know, so people experience it differently. But you know, I felt like, you know, I, you know, I'm holding my breath almost, I want it so bad, you know, and, and it's like this kind of feeling, you know, and so uh, everybody experiences things differently, you know, depending how intense it is. But so we make it, and sometimes you just give, make it the object of meditation, and poof, it's gone. That's fine. We don't have to chase it. Uh, but sometimes it's really strong and it persists for a while. Um, so, you know, mindful exploration is really helpful. And mindful exploration in the body is like kind of the easiest place to look at it um, at first. Um, this practice, just a, a reminder, we always start where we are. 
always start where we are. We're doing it right when we start where we are. What's happening this moment? That's the question. If we feel discouraged, oh, what's discouragement like? You know, it's curiosity. You know, we bring curiosity. That's the effort it takes. You know, can we get curious about what feeling really discouraged is like? Uh, the moment you bring mindfulness to any unskillful state, it starts to transform it. You don't have to worry about what happens to it. Just trust that, you know, by getting to know it, it will change. I mean, how many of you still have that tantrum you had when you were a kid? You know, that's long over. And all these, all these states, they just move, they shift. You know, so by paying attention to them, we just let them go through their natural cycle. So this is, un, you know, we're talking about letting go of unwholesome states. And what happens when you pay attention and you still can't let go and you're really stuck with something? Um, you know, you're, let's, let's say you, you got angry at something and it just isn't letting up. Uh, you've ex- looked at it, you've, you know, you're still kind of pretty, um, pretty upset. And um, so it's enough to incline the mind in the direction of letting go. You know, have any of you, um, uh, like, you know, set a clock, you know, to wake you up at a certain time, and then you wake up just before the clock goes off? You know, have you experienced that? It's like you set uh, set an intention, you set a seed, and, you know, it's not like you're staying up all night to make sure you get up before that that bell rings. It's like something happens in the unconscious uh, that, that, wakes up and says, oh, time for it to ring, you know, and, um, and you do that. And in the same way, when, um, you know, if you're, like, for instance, you know, if you're having an argument with a spouse and you're, you know, and, and you already have cleared things up intellectually, but you're still pissed, you know, um, which some of you have may have experienced that, you know, and you, you go, okay, well, you know, I want to let go of this. And, and that's all I can do right now is I'm going in that direction. And I trust that. And, and lo and behold, every time I've done that, I eventually let go, you know. And, and, but that inclining uh, creates a pathway that makes it easier and easier to let go. Um, it's, um, you know, maybe you still get pissed as often, but, but you let go of it much quicker. Um, One of the hardest places, of the, one of the hardest unskillful um, states to let go of are the pleasant ones. Because when they're pleasant, we really like them. You know, we love our fantasies, we love our daydreaming, and uh, they're so seductive. And so, um, you know, it can be helpful to remember that you really didn't come on retreat to spend, you know, three days here um, to spend hours and hours on fantasies. Uh, you could have done that at home in, in a more comfortable posture. <laughs> um, but, uh, but so, it, you know, again, it's really watching that, you know, it's like that seductiveness of, pleas- of the pleasant. It's so nice, you know, and, but it's not a wholesome state. It's not a skillful state. It's not that that's an uh, unskillful state if you're just at home relaxing, but 
it has to be the right time. Just like you don't, if you're at work working on a problem, you don't want to be spending time daydreaming, right? It's kind of counterproductive. Uh, so there's a time for these things, you know. There's a time for letting the mind wander and letting it be creative. And and sometimes on retreat we get these creative attacks and we get these ideas that are so amazing. And and you you know you've got to you just know exactly how you're going to write that book and you're going to spend the next three hours figuring out all the chapters. And and um, I re- always remember Gil saying that he actually spent once on a really long retreat. Uh, he designed a helicopter. <laughs> so in great detail, you know, over d- a couple of days of meditation. <laughs> uh, so it's seductive, you know. They, they cr- you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, from my experience is that when we get really settled in practice, um, there's a state they talk about called axis concentration, which is where the, m- you know, your mind is really steady on the breath. Um, and it's not, no longer getting distracted by, by the hindrances. It's just a very steady, very pleasant, but alert state. And it's the same juiciness that's available for creativity as it is to go into the deeper meditative states. And so, you know, y- you can go either way. And, um, and if a little bit of that, we're more used, you m- might be more used to the creativity to that spark of creativity, and so we might go in that direction, a new musical, um, you know, piece that comes up, a new chapter in the book, a new painting, you know, uh, and it feels really, s- and it is good, it's, it is wholesome, it's just not what you want, what you're here for, and it's something you can uh, take home with you, though, the, the fact that, wow, that's really, um, you know, if you've got a writing block, hey, what's the best thing to do is meditate. That really opens you up because it connects you with that juiciness, that creative spark. Uh, but, uh, but again, you know, um, you know, so we're there. We can go so much deeper in practice if we don't get seduced by the creative spark at that moment. And I'm passionate about that because I've had lots of experience getting seduced. <laughs> um, I want to say just a little something about energy, you know, and effort creates energy. We often think we need energy to create effort, but that's, that's not the case. Um, you know, have you ever been like really tired and forced yourself to exercise anyways? Anybody experienced that? And, and suddenly you feel much more energetic after the end of the exercise? You know, I've done that quite a number of times, you know, where I was just like, oh, God, I don't want to do anything. But I said I'd go exercise. Okay. <laughs> you know, and drag myself out and, and then just feel so much better. You know, so so it's really um, important to recognize that in meditation. So, like, if you're kind of sleepy and fatigued, that the effort itself uh, to wake up from the sleepiness creates its own energy. Um, and you know, not not all. It's not always easy to access, but but there's definitely a pathway there that can get easier and easier. And the other thing is that our posture really affects our energy. Um, you know, so you know, ha- 
like like I mentioned before, you know, the couch potato definitely has very little energy when you're like really slouched, you know. So if we're kind of really dragging in our sleepiness, you know, sometimes just sitting up a little bit straighter for a while uh, can, you know, can make the energy come up or taking a few deep breaths can make the energy come up. And um, I also want to mention that uh, we always want to make sure when we're dealing with unskillful mental states that the effort to, that we apply to the unskillful states is skillful in itself. You know, have you ever been mad at yourself for getting mad? Mm-hmm. You know, and so really pay attention to, you know, w- like when you find yourself being unskillful, how are you treating yourself? Um, you know, I think about, um, you know, Jack Cornfield was famous for, for this analogy, you know, of, of uh, how you train a dog, right? Uh, you know, you train a dog by very patiently saying, sit, sit, not by screaming at them to sit, you know. And in the same way, we're training ourselves, uh, you know, uh, to develop wholesome mental states with wholesome mental states, with warmth, with compassion, um, and don't forget humor, you know. Um, sometimes, you know, when I'm stuck, you know, s- talking and, you know, I- making fun of myself really helps, uh, not taking myself so seriously. So I really encourage you to be playful with your mind, um, especially when you get, if you feel stuck. Um, you know, be, feel free to be creative with how you speak to yourself. Um, um, at the last retreat, let me see if I get this right, you know, um, uh, what one of the retreats shared was that, um, you know, when he found himself getting really contracted, you know, he channeled his Jewish mother, um, who said, um, how does he say it? Uh, you don't need to be concerned with this, honey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mother never said that, but, but yeah, you don't need to be concerned with this, honey, you know. And, you know, for him, that kind of... Um, it just kind of broke a lot of the tightness around it, you know. And uh, and we can talk to ourselves that way. Um, uh, Sylvia Burstyn used to um, end everything with my darling, you know. She'd say, um, you know, anger, my darling, <laughs> you know. And for her, that worked, you know. For me, that would um, that wouldn't quite make it. But uh, but you know, everybody can find their way of of just kind of softening or seriousness. One other thing is that, um, that I think is really fascinating is um, that sometimes the beginning of effort is unpleasant. Okay, for instance, you know, I used to run, and uh, I found that every time I ran, the first few minutes, I used to run like five in the morning in the winter, be cold, dark. Uh, it would hurt to breathe, you know, the cold air in the nose, and, you know, and it was just unpleasant, you know, but I was committed, so I'd go anyways, and, and I'd always notice, like, the first quarter mile, my legs felt like I was wearing lead weights, you know, and it was unpleasant, and then as I kept running, it felt a little bit better, and at some point during the run, I'd be in the zone, I'd feel fantastic, and, and, you know, and it felt great, and I, and I loved it, 
you know. And um, and I found that would happen to me when I take on projects, you know. It's like at the beginning of a project, I'd be really um, uh, uptight and, 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 you know, it'd be hard to get started. It's like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. And, and then once I got into the flow, it would be like, oh, yeah, you know, and then I'd just be into it. And, and, and so, so many times I found that the beginning of effort is unpleasant. And so um, coming out of sleepiness, that beginning of effort for me has always been unpleasant. Uh, so recognizing that, oh yeah, that's an unpleasant feeling, you know, that that dragging yourself out of sleepiness, uh, you know, um, but that's all it is, it's unpleasant. And staying with the unpleasantness, it gets a little bit easier, a little bit easier, and then it's, then it's fine, you know. So uh, again, getting more comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, when um, effort is really well developed, uh, it can feel effortless. And that's what I mentioned before, you know, uh, athletes call it the, the zone, uh, you know, musicians, uh, uh, you know, that's when they're playing music instead of practicing music, they're completely absorbed in it. Um, you know, so there's this state that we get to that's really effortless. And um, it's something that it's a balance between, um, you know, being really at peace and having pl- um, a lot of alertness. It's a balance between those two qualities is what really brings us into this zone in meditation where we really have a balanced mind that's tranquil and alert. Um, we can't force it. All we can do, you know, you can't force yourself to go into the zone running. All you can do is create the conditions that allow it to arise when it arises. And but knowing that, you know, we can learn to let go of the tightness and continue to persevere. And um, let's say one, one last, ver- I'll, I'll try to do this story very quick. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the uh, Buddhist marathon monks of, of um, uh, Mount Hai, Mount Hai, uh, from the Ten Day School. They have the most um, demanding, demanding physical, mental training that I've heard. Uh, in hundred, I, I wrote it down here. So, um, in 130 years, only 46 people have completed it, and it's a seven-year challenge where they do every year a hundred days of daily marathon. Every day for a hundred days they do a marathon. And, um, and they do it wearing these ridiculously huge hats, but that's besides the point. <laughs> and the last year they do 200 days of 50 miles a day. And so I was reading the interview of the last person who completed, you know, uh, you know, sometime in the last 10 years, I think. And um, he's a very, very humble uh, monk. And, um, you know, they said, you know, how did you do this? He said, um, every moment that I, that I ran, you know, uh, I relaxed everything that I didn't need to have tense. 
And so, you know, he said, and so, you know, as, as the incline would change, different needs changed. And so he would change what was tense and what was relaxed. And so he just kept relaxing everything he didn't need to uh, tense. You know, and so it's like that perfect balance of, of letting go of everything extra. You know, all that extra stuff we add to our experience, we can let it go. So just to end, just remember at every moment we have a choice what to do with our minds. At every moment we have a choice. You know, do we uh, lean towards a skillful state or do we uh, lean towards an unskillful one? And that's the, uh, that's the gift of mindfulness. It gives us that choice. So thank you. <laughs>